Good morning, church. That's pretty good. Good morning, church. That's real good. Uh, real quick, we're going to be in Mark 9. We're going to get back to Exodus. We're going to get Second Kings and end up in Luke. That's the plan. We'll see. But to my left, your right, a little housekeeping before I pray. Um, we have our canvas mural commemorating our merge, what God's done. If you weren't here last week, we had people sign. Please sign. There's empty leaves. And by signing, um, you're saying, I am committed to what God has done, what he's doing, and what we want him to do, which is grow in grace and follow Jesus in this I hear so much hate and fear on the news. It's a great time to be a Christian, by the way, in America. We can actually have an impact. That's the sermon. I'll start. I'll pray before I get there. And then also we have a little table set up. There's lots of information on that table. Kind of file through or file around. Uh, there's information about uh, Monday, Thursday dinner. We just want to see who's coming so we have enough food. And there also is a $5 fee. It's written on there, but just sign up. There's also information about Easter lilies and how we can uh, buy those and commemorate people and make donations in that way. And there's also, along with that canvas... We're going to offer a new member class, and if anybody wants to be baptized, we're going to do April 3rd, April 10th. There's a piece of paper. It'll be about 25 minutes right after service on those days, and come hear what we want to communicate. So that's uh, all over there for you to see, and it is beautiful in that room anyways. Um, let me pray, and we'll jump into Mark 9. Let's pray. Father, help me and help your church. Father, no matter how long we have been walking with you, those of us walking with you, strip us of the biases and the preconceived notions we have with your scripture and show us the word of God today. And Father, if there be people here who don't know you, be gracious, Lord. Come against the misconceptions and the, the things that might keep a heart from seeing you. Jesus, show up. Jesus, come and show us who you are today, I pray in your name. Amen. So Mark chapter 9, it is part 2. Hopefully I won't get to part 3 because we have, what, Palm Sunday and then Easter and Resurrection Sunday. And after that, the plan is to go to the Sermon on the Mount for like six months. That's rough, huh? There's a method to the madness. And by the madness, there's a method to us in America over the next six months. And we're going to dwell on the Sermon on the Mount and see what the God-man had to say about everything. Almost everything. But we want to focus on Jesus in this summer and fall season. So when we turn on the news or see Facebook, we don't immediately freak out. But we want to focus on Jesus. And in the Sermon on the Mount, kind of the preamble or the preface is the Beatitudes. And we'll look at that and then we'll dive right in. And so this has to wrap up. This has to be part two of this transfiguration account. Okay, and so we're going to go there. And a couple weeks ago we saw what we read Basically, we saw this amazing, full-face God revealing to people. And we talked a lot about even those two heroes. Did they see the face of God in the Old Testament? No. They saw hands and scapulas, shoulders. So we're going to dive into that. Real quickly, let's just talk geography, okay? We know that Moses, one of the men in that account in Mark, he met God a couple of times. Remember the name of the mountain? Mount Sinai, okay? We have a map. I'll kind of try and show you where it is, okay? Right down here. It was in the Egyptian wilderness. It was during the wandering. It was post-exile. God was building a nation, and he met with Moses down here. 
in this time, way back when, he promised the people land up there. So in an unsettled, rogue wilderness nation, God met with his prophet Moses. And if you were wondering, this is kind of what Mount Sinai looks like today and back then. Next picture. Who's adventurous? Tamara, you're on. Wouldn't it be great as a church to get people to go to the Holy Land one day? Tamara said she'd lead it, so let's hear it for Tamara. Well done, Tamara. But she, I know Tamara, she's fit. She could make it up there. I probably couldn't. I'd probably have to train for six months. Some other people could make it. You can actually hike this. It takes... Someone in decent physical shape, about four to five hours, depending on your cardiovascular intake and output. And there's a path, and there's actually a cool kind of monastery at the bottom and some things. But that looks what? What's the first thing you see there? Everyone go, oh. I can see why Moses was mad when he came back down and, hadn't, and knew he might have to travel back up, right? So that's Sinai. Transfiguration. A couple of millennia later. Different location. Next picture. Right here. 30 miles or so off the Sea of Galilee. Located in that promised region. And another man goes up to kind of a mountain. Next picture. That looks inviting, right? I could do that today, I promise. My wife's like, prove it. But the point is, it's lush. And it's accessible. And it's doable. So Jesus takes a couple member of the loudmouth guys, <laughs> the guys that might have gotten trouble with him, and so let's go up on a walk. And on this mountain, he is transfigured. And what was the common takeaway last week, two weeks ago? If you're terrified and you don't know what to say, what should you do? Keep your mouth closed. Peter doesn't. We can, a lot of us can go, yeah, I'm Peter. And Peter, what does he want to do? Remember, he wants to build a strip mall on Mount Tabor. That's what he wants to do. He wants to build a place of remembrance. And we know from other scriptures and kind of the mindset of the disciples is, this is going to be awesome. We got the three big guys here. We'll build a, a, a temple or a place to remember and Peter can go, I can envision the road we're going to drive up here in, in camels and donkeys. And then we'll get a bunch of tchotchke stuff and we'll have a big party. And Peter will be maybe the general manager of this place. And upon that saying, the Father from heaven thunders in the language. What does he say? This is my son whom I love. Listen to him. What does he really say? He says that. Stop talking, humans. Stop. You do not know what you're talking about. Listen to Jesus. So we see these two accounts and others, Sinai and Mount Tabor and other places. And let me read the scripture, Mark 9, 5. So we see it on there. And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi... It is good that we are here. Let us make tents, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. What is Peter really saying? I'm glad the big three are here. Woo! We got them. I'm a good Jewish man. I got Moses representing what? The law. The whole law. I got, Mo I got the law. I have Elijah representing who? All the prophets. 
I think Al Mohler said this week, there's no minor prophets, just what, short books or something like that, right? One of the guys said, that's the point. They're all there, right there. And Peter wants to draw a flat line between the law and the prophets and Jesus. And what does God say? Stop talking. You're out of your league, Peter. This is above your pay grade. I love Peter because there's hope for me, amen? I would have probably said something worse. Can I make the little Jesus figurines and feed my family? This is my son, verse 7. Listen to him. Another way to say it, stop the babble and listen. Don't just hear him, disciples and Peter, listen. What the law and the prophets attest to is gospel of John, one language, This is the word of God. This isn't the Bible. I'm going to probably stumble a few of you until we get there. And we'll see why. Go back to uh, chapter, uh, you got it, chapter 9, verse 5. This is the tough part, right? This is the Bible, folks. And I'll get there in a minute. But before Peter and the others was the word of God mentioned in John 1. The idea, the logos, the knowledge of God becoming what? Flesh. The Bible was fulfilled in who? The word of God, Jesus. The Bible is not obsolete. It's been fulfilled in Jesus. And on Mount Tabor, God is thundering. Stop all of the man-made systems and listen to my son. And that's what's happening And it's important that we understand this because me growing up a certain way, I saw the Bible as flat, and I got in a lot of trouble trying to debate people most of the time. The Bible is the inspired word of God. The Bible in its original manuscripts is infallible, hear me, when it points to and attests to who? The word of God, Jesus. Otherwise, it can be a hate book. Think about that. We're wrestling with all this stuff in your mind. When Jesus, the true living word of God, is pointed to by the law and the prophets, our hearts melt before him. This is what the Father is saying. Remember Hebrews, a month ago, Hebrews 1? Long ago when it was dark, I spoke through who? The law and the prophets. In these last days, don't get weird, now I have spoken through my son. That analogy became real to us because we have no lights in our house right now. And so we have candles everywhere. And going to the bathroom at 3 a.m. with a candle is interesting enough. I'll just say it that way. The point is you can kind of see what's going on, but you stub your toe. But when the light comes, the problem isn't the light, it's with me because my eyes have to adjust to it. That's just like us, right? So in the Old Testament, we had the moon and the stars and candles. Now we have the sun, the bright morning sun. And if we have a hard time seeing him, Don't retreat back to the night. Ask for God to give you grace to adjust your eyes, to put on sunglasses for a season, and then we can take them off in grace, right? To see Jesus. So this is what's going on. To elevate just the Bible as the fourth member of the Trinity is unbiblical and, hear me, dangerous. Father, 
Son, Spirit. Father, Spirit, Son. That's what we hold to as Christians. And let me wrap it all up with Scripture so you see I'm not crazy. Sixteen times the law of Moses, the guy with Jesus, ordains and prefers capital punishment in the Old Testament. Sixteen, for just sixteen different reasons. Anybody know that? Let me read them real quick. Premeditated murder. I'll just do it this way. Death, killing someone. Idolatry is there, sacrificing people to false gods and doing things. Human sacrifice, dealing with magic, stoning. Adultery. The rest deal with sexuality. Rape, if you rape someone in the Old Testament and that woman was, or man, but woman primarily, was engaged or married, it was a capital offense. If they weren't engaged or married, that was just different things. So it was very specific, that's my point. So the law represented Moses standing on Mount Tabor in its giving to a nation for many reasons, the sermon's not about that, said yes to stoning for 16 different reasons. Think about that, Christian. You're going to be asked that if you haven't already. And we have to have a Jesus answer, not a I'll Google it or I'll ask my pastor answer. So wrestle. I want you to be a little uncomfortable today. The Bible says, the word of God in the old covenant says 16 different times, you're done. But then, through God's providence and through his grace, he brings forth a life that he calls the word of God, named Jesus, always promised from the garden on. And Jesus is confronted by rabbis and others who have the Bible memorized. Do we get that? And quote passages like this. And what does Jesus say over and over and over again? I desire what? Not what? I desire mercy, not sacrifice. And then he forgives and says, go and sin no more to whoever's being brought forward. So that's Moses and the law, and the law's good. The law's not bad, but we got to see it for what it is. Pointing to who? The word of God, Jesus. Pointing, attesting, being witness, having a megaphone saying, look at Jesus, he's coming, he's coming. Go see Jesus. And then we have Elijah. We love Elijah, right? For lots of reasons. In some Christian circles, pastors are praying for their sons to be the next Elijah. They don't read the Bible. Read the, you don't want to be like Elijah. Anybody remember 2 Kings? Quickly. Ahab has a son, Ahab bad. Remember Ahab? Bad king. Bad, bad, bad. Son not much better. And real quickly... In the first chapter of 2 Kings, Ahab's son, I'll try and pronounce his name for you here, Ahaziah says, bring me that prophet, I'm going to do away with him, Elijah. And two times, 50 men come with a police captain, and Elijah says, if I'm really a man of God, I'll call down fire and kill all of you. And what happens two times? Fire comes down, and the whole guard is dead. 
That's why people want to be like Elijah, apparently. They don't want to suffer like him or be without with him or being hunted down, right? But they want what? They want the power. Especially guys, right? We'll, we'll struggle through that. But 2 Kings chapter 1, verse 11. So this is again. Again, the king sent to him another captain of 50 men. This will be 150 if it goes down, right? And he answered and said to him, O man of God, this is the king's order. Come down quickly to... But Elijah answered them and said, I have a man of God, let fire come down. And then, I'm sorry, this is the second account. And then fire came down from heaven and consumed them. The third time, the captain basically says, you can read it, have pity on me. And Elijah says, okay. So that's what the prophets at times attest to. The prophets talk about the Messiah. The prophets talk much about the grace of God. But sometimes we as humans see the prophets and go, oh yeah. So the law and the prophets, if I'm right, are attesting to Jesus. The word of God shows up later, and in multiple accounts, we'll see it in the Sermon on the Mount, what does Jesus say about those who come for us and persecute us? Love and pray for them. Straight up. That's it. Uh Uh-oh. Now we got some wrestling with our hearts. I like the Bible. I love 2 Kings. It's true, by the way. Remember, It's true, inerrant, and infallible, pointing to who? Jesus, not on an island. If the Bible is on an island and it doesn't point to Christ, let's have coffee, folks. Because your heart will be troubled. It should be. But over and over, Jesus says, if someone takes advantage of you, this is a hard one, give them your shirt and your coat and say what? God bless you. Uh Uh-oh, dun, dun, dun. It's like, oh, toodles, I was at the... I was at the preschool. A couple, that's their favorite thing. Disney Clubhouse. Dun, dun, dun. Here we go. We got to wrestle with this. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. The word of God is thundering from heaven. The father says what? Listen to him. And the son, the perfect word says what? If you are treated poorly for my name's sake, double honor is upon you. That's right up front, somewhere on the mount. The inference is, if you are treated poorly, not for my sake, or trying to manipulate the word of God, let's have a come to Jesus meeting. Jesus is going to say to people, right? Let's get right. So again, the Pharisees in Jesus' day and the Pharisaical spirit, it is their desire to condemn the sinner and recite Moses at times. You guys think of the accounts with Jesus. I use it a lot, but the woman caught in adultery. Perfect. Much has been written, and maybe so, I'm not that smart, about what Jesus wrote in the dust in that story. Remember that? Con- he's confronted by the people, the Pharisees, and Jesus bends down and writes. He might have wrote sin. He might have I don't know what he wrote. The point is don't dwell on what he wrote. Dwell on what he said. The word of God spoke in that account. Whoever doesn't have sin, kill her. Don't dwell on the dust. What happens when the storm comes that night to that city? Jesus' words were gone, but the word of God is active and living. The the God-man Jesus has spoken, and he is eternal. Listen to him. Who is there to condemn you, sister? 
nobody, nor do I go and what? Don't do this anymore. Good, I'm glad you guys are looking at me like that. This is tough, right? We gotta wrestle. I got eight minutes to wrestle. So what I'm getting at is the Pharisees then and now have the word of God, I'm sorry, the Bible, hear me. The Pharisees have the Bible on their side, but they don't understand the word of God, Jesus Christ. I hope you see that from what I'm trying to do in the scriptures. I'm not trying to get weird. The pharisaical attitude can quote the Bible all day long. Word of God. John 1, the word became flesh and spoke on almost everything we face as people. He has something to say. The word of God, Jesus himself, fulfilled the Bible. That's what we're going to go through on the Sermon on the Mount. And the word of God spoke with what? Authority. Not like the Pharisees and the rabbis, but he spoke We'll see this in chapter 7 of Matthew, like no one has ever spoken before. Not in some weird oratory way. Jesus was a very good speaker. But he quoted the Bible, Old Testament, I don't want to freak you out, and said, you thought and heard, let me tell you what the word of God says. That's authority, by the way. That's the point. There's a reason why he was put to death, both spiritually and We'll say socially, right? Because he was saying what? I'm above the Torah. <laughs> In some ways. That's how it was interpreted. We'll close with the sons of, uh, sorry, say it loud. The sons of thunder. Remember those guys? James and John. Remember them? There's, there's a bunch of um, back room meetings between the disciples of like, so when this thing goes down, like when Jesus is in Jerusalem on his throne, who's going to be next to him? Obviously, I'm not as bad a sinner as you, so I'm going to be closer. We'll do this one. Luke 9, guys, Luke 9, verse 51. This is drawing close to Passion Week and whatnot. So Luke chapter 9, 51. When the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. Okay, next. And he sent messengers ahead of him who went and entered a village of the Samaritans to make preparations. You guys know, you're smart. Was this going to be drama? Is it going to be awkward when Jesus shows up to a town with Samaritans? Yeah, especially Jewish folk. It's going to be awkward. Picture, picture the Middle East right now. Picture the Gaza Strip. That's some of the divisions we see back then coming now. Or picture, in our country, picture Birmingham 60s, race stuff. That's the animosity happening. Next verse. But the people did not receive him because his face was set towards Jerusalem. There's lots of reasons they didn't receive him. But the main reason, Luke points out, this historian, is he was going on the Father's mission and he would not be skewed or set aside for any reason. And another reason, this was going to happen heck or high water. God was ordaining this for us and for others. 54. And when his disciples, James and John, everyone say it, sons of thunder, one, two, three, sons of thunder, right? Oh, we're gonna, 
Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? Just like who? Their hero who? Elijah. The guy they heard about in the Bible. Hey, God, remember that awesome story? Let's kill them all. That's what there's, like, that's in the Bible. Like, Luke's recording that, and what's going to happen? You guys know, as I've preached for 25 minutes, the hammer is going to what? Come down. Because we already saw it a chapter before. Luke is smart. I'm sorry, Mark. I'm getting all messed up. Mark is smart. It's actually in Luke. It's in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the transfiguration. Listen to Jesus. That's what God said. <laughs> Listen to him. So here we go. Let's be like who? Everyone say it. Elijah. You ever wanted to be like Elijah? You can be honest in church. It's okay. I have. I've wanted to be like Elijah. I've been that angry. Luke is very gracious because Jesus said more than that. But that's what Jesus said, according to Luke. Other manuscripts, and they're credible, allude to other things written in other Gospels. Jesus says this on certain occasions to his disciples who have this spirit of Elijah or spirit of law and prophet or spirit of pharisaicalness. You do not know what spirit you are from, basically, right now. Remember he said this to Peter? Get behind me who? Satan. I'm going to, I'm going to Calvary. Get behind me. And then Jesus would utter earlier manuscripts, and I'll say it because I think it's pertinent. For the Son of Man came not to destroy people's lives, but to save them. So the Father from heaven is saying, listen to my Son, listen to the Word, listen to my idea, listen to my identity. Hebrews says, listen to the perfect icon of God. Listen to God. And when even his close circle wants to be like Moses, well, Pharisees, but his boys want to be like Elijah, he turns to them and says, you don't know what spirit you're acting in. I have no desire in nuking a town because they won't receive me. I have come to save, not what? Destroy. And I'll close with this. Church, as we go into the Easter and holiday season, hear my heart as a pastor. I don't want to get too weird. Remember when Peter was, Satan asked to sift Peter? Remember that? That's weird, by the way. That would be like, whoa, I'm doing stuff for the Lord, but I'm also in the crosshairs of the enemy. And it isn't a direct parallel, so don't get weird. I'm not trying to get weird. I might have mentioned this at Christmas time. In the next six months, in our country, with the religious and political and fear-mongering on hate from both sides, in some ways, Satan could be asking God to sift the American church. Just destroy us and rip us apart. Limb from limb. Don't be motivated by fear and hate and angst and doom and gloom. Because we serve a God who owns everything. We serve a God who gave the law and the prophets to point us to himself. And we serve a God who loved you and me and his church in this world enough to have his identity, his very word, wrapped in flesh, live a perfect life. 
and speak in perfect ways to comfort your heart, but then to guide and direct you to say what? Lord, I really want sacrifice. That's what I was getting at. Sometimes I want to be like Moses, right? Sometimes I want to be like Elijah. But Jesus came and clarified all that. The morning sun came and said what? I desire mercy, not sacrifice. That's hard to hear, folks. I don't want shock and awe on a Samaritan town. I want to save people. That's what Jesus says. I just want us to dwell on that. I want, as we go through the Sermon on the Mount, us to be like shocked in a good way, right? Jesus. Not with like nice stain on him. Not with paint and cool designs. I want to see Jesus unvarnished, I guess. And that's my goal and our goal. And I hope you come on that journey with us. Because your soul will be satisfied. And hear me, church, we will see and worship Jesus, maybe afresh, not anew, and we'll be saying, amen, Lord, use us, use us. Because don't believe any of the news channels and get off of Facebook, maybe. It is not doom and gloom. It is, we are here for time and a reason in this region to make Christ shine bright and to invite people to come in and receive forgiveness, to invite them to receive the repentance Jesus offered, to invite them to receive the gospel of grace, and then say what? Join this community, this ragtag bunch of people, and let's work together for God's glory. And that's what we want to do. So I hope uh, we can kind of point back to a watershed mark of maybe seeing the transfiguration or Mount Tabor in a different way. We can remember God says what? Peter, be quiet. Law and the prophets attest to me, my son, the word of God, Jesus. Let me pray, and we'll have one more song. And I'm going to invite you, if you didn't sign, head on over. And there's more information there, but let's pray for us. Actually, just stand up if you can. Stand up. I never ask this, but we'll stand. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for these folks. Thank you for your church. Thank you for your word. Father, give me grace that at times I want to revert back to my Moses mentality in my pharisaical nature at times, Lord. Give me the grace, Holy Spirit, to remember your son and what he said and your word, the perfect word, and let us listen to Jesus. And Father, give me grace to, at times when I have an Elijah moment, quench my heart and draw me and us quick to our knees to pray for those who oppose us to love those who might be an enemy of grace and the cross. In this last song, may you be worshiped. In Jesus' name, amen.